Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. G'day and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. The trio is reunited like peaches and herb and cream. Peaches and herb and cream. Yeah. Didn't peaches and herb sing reunited and it feels so good? Yeah, but I don't know how Eric Clapton figures in. Well, there's three of us here. Oh, gotcha. And Clapton wasn't all cream. I mean, Ginger Baker was a, a force to be reckoned with, too. Good point. He still is. Is he still alive? Uh, unless he died recently. I saw a, a great documentary about him. Yeah, I haven't actually watched it. Is it good? Yeah. He's, it looks like it is. He's quite a dude. <laughs> is he? Yeah. I'm excited already to watch it. Yeah, Can you, you should me? check it out. Okay, I will. Um, oh, have you seen Hereditary? Oh, yeah, I saw that in the theater. That's pretty cool, huh? I liked it. I did, too. I like just about anything A24 puts out. Yeah? Yeah. Shout out to A24. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, speaking of A24 and horror movies, Chuck, we were down in Australia recently. We just got back. Yeah, I'm sick. I know. I am not. I can't believe it, but I'm not. Yeah, I got sick in, where was it, Sydney? Oh, yeah, you were starting to kind of feel under the weather, huh? It just yeah. got full-blown. You yeah. seemed okay on the flight back, though. Uh, it, that, those were the beginnings. I think my body was in combat mode. Mm-hmm. And then when I got back here, it just it lowered its defenses. It said, oh, I'm home. And I got some weird Australian, Australian rhino virus. Man, walking around the airport, it was like, uh, what, what? you just sneezed on me. What is that? What was that? Yeah, and we should point out to people that we took 10 plane flights in 11 days. Yes, we did. So that that's a pretty good way to get sick. Yeah, and let's see. There, it was Atlanta to L.A., five hours. L.A. to Sydney, 14 hours. Mm-hmm. Sydney to Perth, another four or five hours. Yeah. Th- this was all in like one stretch. There was like two-hour layovers in between those three flights. And that's yeah, it was, it, it was about a 33-hour experience. Getting total. there. And about the same on the way home. Yeah, it was. And it was totally worth it, too. I would agree, although uh, when we come back, we're going to route things a bit differently. (laughs) Yeah, we are. Like, when when we landed in Sydney, I remember my first thought was, why can't we just start here? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But there's no magic route, but there's probably a better one. Well, we did the black magic route, if there if there is such a thing. Yeah, but boy, uh, it was a grind, but we had a great time. Um, had a couple of days off in between, which mm-hmm. was, I don't know if I would have made it had it not been for those days. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would have just been too grueling to do like five cities in five days. Yeah. Yeah. and the, the, Those were long flights. Yeah, they were cool down days too. You spent most of the time in Melbourne. Which, uh, actually, south of Melbourne. I went to the Mornington Peninsula. Well, yeah, so Yumi and I were down there, too. That's where we saw the penguins march in from the ocean. And it right. is gorgeous down there. That's like their wine country, right? It's one of them. There's another wine country, the Yarra Valley, north of Melbourne. But this is the one by the ocean. Yeah. So wine country slash the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen. <laughs> and you pretty much get Happy Chuck. Yeah, that's cool, man. And we spent another day in Sydney, too, which is a pretty cool town. Um, just walking around the opera house alone is, is worth it, but there's a lot of cool stuff to do there too. Yeah. Uh, I went ziplining. I went, uh, nice. <laughs> went to the beach. 
went to drank a lot of wine, went to a lot of wineries, and mm-hmm. it was that time of the year and midweek. It was just sort of shut down. So, you know, my buddy Scotty came over, as you know, I'm telling mm-hmm. everyone else. But my buddy Scotty came over and met me in Melbourne. So we felt like we kept joking that we had rented the Mornington Peninsula. Nice. Because there were never more than two people anywhere we went. That's really, And I'll bet the uh, wine tastings, they had a heavy hand. Yeah, the they pouring, basically huh? was just like, let's go sit on the porch, fellas. Nice. And they brought the bottle out, and we just sat around and drank with the loveliest people on the face of the earth. Yeah, they are some really lovely people, and not just in Australia. We did New Zealand, too, which sure. I already knew. You mean I've been to New Zealand before, so I already had a pretty good idea of just how awesome New Zealanders are, Kiwis, yeah. as they call themselves sometimes. Um, but, I mean, you got to experience it firsthand, too. Yeah, I mean, everyone is just so nice and accommodating. Like, the whole no worries thing is is not just something they throw around. Like, you, no. f- you feel it. It's for real. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It, to to just experience it is is a very cool trip. Yeah, and even flying ten times in eleven days, their airports and the TSA and just the way people are, mm-hmm. it really made it pretty pretty great. Like I I would have it would have been a different experience flying ten times around the United States in eleven days. <laughs> I think so. Like it would have been awful. <laughs> I think so. But uh, <laughs> it was great. We had a wonderful time. We're definitely coming back. Uh, we both loved on koalas and kangaroos. And yeah. It's like it doesn't get any better than that. Oh, man. So, yeah, you guys will see us again sometime in the near future. We'll do another tour for sure. And I'm now getting up at uh, 6 a.m. tomorrow to watch another Aussie Rules football final match. Oh, yeah, you got into that, like, for real, huh? Big time. That's cool, man. It's great. Why not add another sport to the pile? Well, I've lost a bunch of sports. Like, oh, yeah? I'm kind of down to NFL and college football. No more NBA, huh? Very little. I see. It's very it's tough with the Hawks, and, uh, and I'll watch a little bit of the finals maybe. but And then baseball. Uh, you know, I follow the Braves a little bit, but since they moved to the suburbs, I'm not mm-hmm. as pumped. It so, is a little uh, different, isn't it? Yeah, it's just yeah. not as cool. I'm with you. Okay, well, shoot. Might as well just add another one, Australian rules football. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, thank you for having us, Australia and New Zealand. We'll see you guys again soon, right? Yes, and uh-huh. what a great segue, because Australia happens to be one of the countries in the world, as far as I know, the only country in the world that utilizes ranked choice voting. No, there's there's two others, but yeah, as far as I know, they're just the three, and Australia's used it the longest. What are the other two? The other two are Malta and Ireland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, big countries. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no disrespect to Ireland. Australia is the only country that's also a continent that uses ranked choice. Correct. Voting. So, um, and yeah, like I said, they've been using it from what I saw at least a century. I couldn't find exactly when they started using it, but I believe it's tied to Robert's Rules of Order, which is a you know a book of rules for order that you can use if you're you know, voting on stuff or you have some sort of parliament or whatever you're trying to do. It's the preferred way of voting, this ranked choice voting, right? Oh, they've been doing it for that long? Yeah, a century. Oh, I I thought it would just for the past five years. No, no, that's, it's actually, it's coming around in the U.S. again, even though it, it was around before about a century ago. But in Australia, it's stuck for the last hundred or so years. Interesting. I wonder. Yeah. I, I read a big article that f- felt like they they felt a need to 
explain to people how to do it five years ago, so maybe they forgot. Oh, really? You're freaking me out now. (laughs) But here in America, we are not quite on board. So, no. Let me give you you a little intro here, Charles. You ready? Yes. Okay. So, um, back in the 2000 election, it was the presidential election. It was a squeaker, you might say, between... George W. Bush and Al Gore. Yeah. Apparently, the the state of Florida, so everyone knows about the Electoral College, and if you don't, go listen to our episode about the Electoral College. But you can win in the United States the popular vote, meaning you got, you got more people voted for you than your opponent. But if your opponent wins some very strategic states, states that have more electoral college votes, they can actually win the presidency without winning the popular vote. It happened in 2016. Uh, It happened in the 2000 election. And every time it does happen, everybody just gets up in arms. And in my opinion, rightfully so, because the will of the people has not been served. Right. Like clearly the majority of people voted for somebody else who is not the winner. And it just really ticks everybody off in this country when that happens. And in 2000, it was so close that the Supreme Court had to decide who was president. And it all came down to Florida. Florida had a lot of electoral college votes and Bush and Gore were neck and neck. Although Gore ended up winning the the presidency as far as popular voting went. Uh, Bush won because in Florida, it came down to he won 48.847% of the vote. And Al Gore won 48.838% of the vote. Okay, so 0.009% of the vote made the difference in the state of Florida. And with the Electoral College, if you win that state, you get all the electoral votes, which pushed Bush over the edge and made him president, right? And a lot of people pointed to Ralph Nader, who, as we all know and love from the um, Pintos episode, is like a, a crusader for people, just a great guy. But for since 2000, a lot of people have hated Ralph Nader because they said that he handed the presidency to George W. Bush by acting as a spoiler. That something like 90,000 people voted for Ralph Nader in the 2000 election. I'm sorry, almost 98,000. And since it was that close in Florida, the, those 98,000 votes in Florida for Nader pushed Bush into the lead. Well, that's just totally unfair because it turns out actually like 308,000 registered Democrats actually voted for Bush. So you could say that actually the the Democratic Party didn't run a very good campaign in Florida if that was the case. But forever, Ralph Nader's borne the brunt of everyone's ire because of this. And the same, we see this in election after election after election. People calling out people of similar views for voting for a third party candidate saying that they split the vote. And and handed the um, the the office over to the their shared enemy, right? And one way to solve this problem, the spoiler, um, is by fixing what we call this plurality voting system, which we have. Which is, if you get more votes than your opponent, even if it's not the majority of votes, you still win. It's called winner winner takes all elections. And that's what we have right now. And it's actually creating a lot of polarity and polarization in the United States. That was impressive. 
Well, th- thanks. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, it's uh, basically what you have is, is, at least in the United States, is a situation where if, if you vote for your favorite candidate, you can actually hand the election to your least favorite candidate. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, like with the Bernie or Busters in the last election, mm-hmm. that's kind of what happened. The people that voted with their heart that were like, I can't vote for Hillary Clinton or I don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm got to vote for Bernie. Uh, very clearly, that's that you know that does swing an election. People should vote who they want to vote for. Agreed. Uh, but there is potentially a better way, uh, and we're talking about what Australia does: ranked choice voting. What some cities in the United States do mm-hmm. um, on small local elections. It's sort of seeing a test run um, all around the country in little markets to see what people think. Um, sometimes people are voting on whether or not they should try uh, this style of voting. Sometimes that passes, and then they actually vote on candidates. Mm-hmm. But what ranked-choice voting is is when you fill out a – you don't just say, I want to vote for this person. You say, I want to vote for this person, and then, you know, my second choice would be this person, mm-hmm. and my third choice would be this person. Sometimes it stops there at three. Sometimes it's capped. But sometimes you just rank all the candidates in order of – how much you want them in office. Right. So um, the whole point of ranking them is not just for the satisfaction of putting the person you like the least dead last, right? Maybe filling in the name or the little bubble next to their name with a skull and crossbones. The point is uh, it comes after the the ballots are tallied. If, Chuck, everybody um, voted for one single person, a majority of people voted for one single person, in the first count, that person won if they had a majority of the vote, say 50% plus one single vote, right? Yes. It's done. It's just like a normal election under that uh, under that, um, uh, that circumstance. But let's say one of the candidates didn't get a majority of the vote. This is when ranked choice voting really kicks in. And this is another reason why it's also called an instant runoff vote, because what happens is an instant runoff election from those ballots. And I think we should take a break oh, and okay. detail this. That's a cliffhanger. Yeah, right after this. Well, now, when you're on the road, driving in your truck, why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's Stuff You Should Know. Stuff You Should Know. All right. All right, everybody. If you remember what we were talking about, mm-hmm. we're talking about ranked choice voting. You list out your candidates in order of preference, mm-hmm. and then after you hand your ballot in, they just kind of work from the bottom up almost and start striking people out until they get to someone that has a majority. Yep. And it's really that simple. It really is. Like, if you if you think too hard on it, you can overcomplicate it. It's actually pretty easy. And if, like, what we're going to explain doesn't quite make sense, go onto the web and watch. There's a couple of minute-and-a-half-long videos that do a really good job of explaining it using visuals. I think one's by KQED out in San Francisco and another's by Minnesota Public Radio. And both Minneapolis and San Francisco use ranked choice voting. Um, So go watch those videos and you will totally get it. But uh, again, if you have, let's say you have candidate A, B, C, and D, and you cast your ballot 
and you like you like them in that order. Candidate A is your top choice, candidate B is your second choice, candidate C is third, and D is fourth, right? Okay, easy enough so far, right, Chuck? Yes. Okay, so um, let's say that after all the tallies are, are, um, are, all the ballots are tallied, your guy, candidate A, just didn't make the cut. He, he, he came in dead last. Your, ba- your ballot doesn't get thrown away. It gets set to the side because whatever all the people who voted for candidate A chose for second, those votes get distributed to those candidates in this next round. Yeah, exactly. And that is how you end up with a majority. So you, you, what you won't wind up is a situation like you had with the current governor of Maine where he won the election with 38 percent of the vote. And like there's something wrong with your voting system if only 38 percent of the people in a in a in a voting pool mm-hmm. like this candidate enough and they end up winning. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the big problem that everybody points to with our current plurality system is it, you could, if there's three candidates, you can win with 34% of the vote, which means 66% of the people who voted didn't vote for you. They voted for somebody other than you. And the other part of the thing that I've seen from research in this, Chuck, is that when when it's a winner-takes-all takes kind of election, like a plurality election like we have, that seems to um, incentivize, incentivize candidates to be more polarizing because what they're trying to do is energize their base and get their base out, but they have no incentive whatsoever to reach out across the aisle to other voters. Um, all they're doing is getting their base charged up to get out and vote frequently about issues that don't really mean anything. They're just kind of like... Um, I'm not quite sure what the term is for him, but nonsensical issues that don't really mean anything. They just tick everybody off. That kind of polarization comes from this plurality thing. And and one of the ways that, um, or one of the reasons so many people are pointing to ranked choice voting as a, as a, um, as a kind of a way to solve this is because it does the opposite. It incentivizes people to, reach out to as many voters as possible because you want to end up as their number two choice. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting argument. Um, In theory, it would push politicians toward the center. Uh, However, a lot of people don't want centrist politicians. I mean, as we've seen in recent years, people, there are a lot of people that are very hard right and very hard left that I imagine would reject this kind of voting Mm. uh, because they don't want to go toward the center. Um, although right now, you know, independents are largely ignored. Third-party candidates are largely ignored. So they would probably embrace something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I mean, we had a situation in Kansas where the uh, gubernatorial primary was decided by less than 200 votes. So that meant that 52,000 votes basically didn't count. I mean, right. they, they counted in that people got to, to speak their mind and vote their conscience. But 52, those 52,000 people, if you polled them, you, they would probably say, well, you know what? I might like a second chance to vote then on these two jerks that was decided by less than 200 votes. Right, right. And that's where ranked choice voting comes in because if you, if you, you know, vote your conscience, which I think it sounds like both of us agree you totally should, and I think even further, you should not deride people who vote their conscience. It's a pretty terrible thing to do. Um but if if you share similar views 
um, with another candidate, they might be your second choice. You might not like them. Maybe they're the establishment candidate and you're more like the, uh, the more progressive or more far right candidate. You like that person first, but you're also saying, you know, this person might have a, a better shot. So I'm going to make sure that they're my number two rather than the, the other person. And so what you're doing then is rather than the vote being split, like in a winner takes all, if if your person, your third party candidate doesn't win that first round, um, the your votes are going to go to that other more like minded person. So rather than splitting the vote, you're actually going and helping uh, to bolster it if your candidate of choice doesn't make it to the second round. Right. Obviously, you need at least three candidates for something like this to happen. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't always happen. So you can't always use this this kind of voting. Uh, and Maine, uh, the state of Maine is an interesting, well, it's interesting in a lot of ways because Mainers are weird and they know that. Um, they're very independent and just sort of a state into themselves in a lot of ways. So what you've had here, nine of the past 11 governors have been elected with less than 50% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Nine of the past 11, which is amazing. Five of those won with less than 40%. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the current governor, Paul LePage, or LePage, mm-hmm. uh, he won with 38%. And as of hours ago, as, as of this recording, mm-hmm. he just vetoed a bill uh, for this kind of voting to continue on his way out the door, basically. I saw that there was like, there's been a real push in Maine against this too, and there's a lot of allegations that it's basically the status quo is worried that they're not going to be able to get enough centrist people to vote for them. And so they're going to start losing elections rather than these winner polarized winner takes all um, contests that they can win by energizing the base into a frenzy. So pushed by politicians, I guess. Right. A push by incumbent politicians, no less. Yeah, because the people voted for it. They had a record turnout, apparently. Because one of the worries is is that more complicated voting, in theory, leads to uh, people being less interested in voting. Mm-hmm. Like this sort of sadly American thing where you have to make voting super easy and super dumb, uh, or dumbed down at least. And if it's just confusing, people won't understand it, and they won't know what to do, so they may not even vote. Mm-hmm. But at least in Maine, they had a record turnout, and a lot of people think it was because they moved to ranked choice voting. And I saw also a, a 2014 study from the University of Missouri that um, they looked at like 76 elections or 79 elections in 26 cities that used ranked choice voting. And they found that overall there was like a 10% higher turnout than in elections that um, hadn't used ranked choice voting. Um, and that that definitely flies in the face of one of the great criticisms of ranked choice voting that it's way more difficult than regular voting, like you were saying, right? The thing is, is it's not that much more difficult. It's really pretty easy, and the average person can figure it out. What I think it calls for more, though, Chuck, is a more informed voter. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just scantron it. You can't just make a Christmas tree out of it and expect any kind of good result. Rather than just knowing about your one candidate and that, yes, I like this person, they most align with my views, so I'm going to vote for them, and I don't need to know anything about the other people except I don't want to vote for them. It, it means that you need to know something about all of the candidates because you got to figure out who's second and who's third and who's fourth and who's fifth. Um, and to do that, you have to be an informed voter. Maybe they should, in the States, 
do it with pictures as a who's hot and who's not, <laughs> or who wore it best. <laughs> who wore it best, yeah. In in terms of ranking, just so we can understand it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a, a there has to be as as far as rank choice voting goes, there has to be a um, real understandable, really robust public education campaign that goes along with it. Um, or else it's not going to get anywhere, I don't think. But I think so far in, in like Maine, which I think you said already is the first state to ever use this in statewide elections in the U.S., right? Yeah, they hand count there too. They do, but this article kind of worried about that. It's like, well, how long is this going to take if they're yeah. hand counting? Well, if the if under the first count, like they normally do, there isn't a clear winner, a majority winner, all those ballots get sent to the Capitol, which—, which I think, um, uses software from that point on. So it's not that big of a deal as far as Maine goes. Yeah, and I read uh, the governor of Maine's, um, the reason why he vetoed it, he wrote like a op-ed or whatever, made a statement. Mm-hmm. And he he had a couple of reasons. One was financial because they came back and said it would cost an extra $330,000 or something. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, they're sticking it to you. They're sticking you, the taxpayer, with more money for this election, which I don't know I haven't done the math. I can't imagine that would amount to very much money per person, mm-hmm. like per voter. Uh, and he also said that it was it was sort of voted on and run through in the middle of the night, uh, one of those type of deals where, you know, a lot of people weren't there. It wasn't debated. It was voted on in less than five minutes at, you know, late at night and that kind of thing, that kind of sneaky politics. So right. that's that's what that was his contention, although I, I imagine if the people of Maine voted for it to begin with, then uh, – I mean, from everything I've read, it sounds like he was just sort of like on the way out the door, giving everybody the finger. Yeah, that's that's what every that's what I've read too. That's that's kind of my interpretation. I want to hear from people, the people of Maine, though, about this. Well, the people of Maine have already spoken on on I think June eighteenth. They using the ranked system for the first time. The first question on the ballot was, "Do you want to keep using ranked voting?" Yeah, and it was. Um, it was passed with like a 64% vote. So clearly a majority of people in Maine at least say, yep, let's give this a shot. Was that ranked choice? Was it yes. like, yes? They, they used ranked choice. No. Oh, right, right. And then maybe, but only if this. And <laughs> well, I guess if they don't do this, then we should do this. Right. So maybe let's take a break. Talk about some history. Let's. Well, now, when you're on the road, driving in your truck, why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's Stuff You Should Know. Stuff You Should Know. All right. All right, Chuck. So, ranked choice, like we said, it's been around for a little while. And the U.S. took a stab at it before, um, I think back in the 1930s in New York, right? Yeah, I mean, the Brits used to do it in the 1800s, and then America tried it in New York, of course. Mm-hmm. And if this weird thing hadn't happened, it may still be around today. You never know. But in a, a 1937 city council election, a communist actually won a seat because of ranked choice voting, and that changed everything. And I think if it hadn't been for that, it might have actually caught on. 
Yeah, because I think a decade later, they used the um, the Red Scare to basically say, look, you can't have ranked choice voting. It gets communists in power. Are you crazy? And everyone said, oh, okay, let's get away with rank. Well, let's do away with ranked choice voting. And they did. But as in this case, as in all the other cases where ranked choice voting has been tried out and then uh, uh, left behind later on, it's been tied to some other issue. It doesn't seem like ranked choice voting itself is the problem. It's the the establishment who's threatened by ranked choice voting tends to tie it to an unpopular political thing and then um, gets rid of it that way. Like in, in Burlington, Vermont, back in I think the mid-2000s, they tried ranked choice voting, and this mayor that got elected was a super progressive um, who upset, uh, I think, a Republican incumbent. And the the progressive was doing fine. Everybody was happy with him. But then he got uh, embroiled in a scandal where apparently he used public funds to keep a telecom company in business that did not make the people of Burlington, Vermont, very happy. Yeah. So he, be, he became a very unpopular mayor, like almost overnight. Well, he had been elected through ranked choice voting. So the Republicans the next time around said, look what ranked choice voting did. It got this, right. this scandal-plagued mayor in office. Let's get rid of ranked choice voting. And people voted voted against ranked choice voting. And it was a very close vote, and it was mostly Republicans who voted against it, but more of them turned out to vote against ranked choice voting, so it went away. Same thing with the communists in New York. The Democrats did that. They said, look, it elected a communist to uh, the New York City Council. Let's get away. Let's do away with ranked choice voting. Same thing. So it's not like the ranked choice voting, there's anything wrong with it. And it, there may be a lot right with it. It's just that it gets tied to political scandals pretty frequently to get rid of it. I think it's it's because it's a new thing. People are like, oh, yeah, that was weird. That was weird. Let's go back to the, the old way, even though the old way is broken. Yeah. Oakland, California is a pretty interesting uh, situation, too. In 2010, because people could make arguments, I guess, on either side here. Uh, in 2010, for its mayoral election, there were 10 candidates on the ballot. So you got to rank all 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't see anything about like, is a ballot counted if you only rank, like, four? Oh, that's a really good point. So I wonder if that's if, an incomplete ballot. It is. And all that's counted, though, is your first vote. So in the first round of voting, your ballot counts, whether you rank one person or four or or three. However, if you don't fill it out and you just fill out one, it gets counted once. So you and, could write nine out of ten and it only counts the first? From what I understand, yes. Interesting. All right. So in Oakland, uh, there were 10 candidates. Uh, There was a front runner named Don Parada. He got 35% of what they called the first choice vote, which is, you know, obviously pretty low Mm -hmm. for first choice. Did not win. And then uh, Jean Kwan, she finished pretty far behind. She only got 24% of the first preference, but she ended up winning with 51% to Parada's 48% Mm -hmm. after they rolled all those other votes up. Yes, because she had gone to the other candidates who were long shots and said, hey, let's let's form an alliance here. Let's let's try to, like, get as many voters as possible to vote for us. And that's one of the things that ranked choice voting does, Chuck, is it, it, it incentivizes you to appeal to as many voters as possible rather than alienating another candidate's voters and just appealing to your own base. You want those second choice votes, too, because they count in later rounds. And 
That means that you have to say, hey, I know I'm not your first choice. I'm, I might even be from a different party than the one you're planning to vote for. But let me tell you about some of the things that we have in common that might change your opinion of me, which means that there's probably going to be less negative ads, less negative campaigns. And in some, some um, cases, I think for the main attorney general's office, some candidates have come together to, um, to basically run ads, like joint campaign ads saying, hey, everybody, I know you're planning to vote for me, but maybe put this person as number two. Yeah. And the, the other person says the same thing. And in doing so, what you're doing is, is, is rather than splitting the vote, you're consolidating what would have been previously split votes into something that could actually lift one or the other to, to office. Yeah, and uh, I mean, as far as appealing to the center and whether mm-hmm. people want that, that's that's got to be better than what we have now, which is people digging in so far and so hard to the left and the right that they're mm-hmm. basically, they might as well just come out and say, screw you 50% of the country. Right. And or that's 60. that's a broken system. Right. Uh, and there are a lot of people, including uh, Bloomberg View columnist Leonid Bershitsky, <laughs> speaking of communists, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Leonid. I'm sure you're a fine American. Uh, he, you know, he basically came out and wrote an article that said if we had gone with this type of thing, Donald Trump would not. Not only would he not be president, mm-hmm. he he would not have even won the primary because there were so many sort of establishment traditional conservatives that w- would never have voted for uh, Donald Trump and may have even sat out the election that would have written in, like, maybe John Kasich first, then Jeb Bush second, and then, uh, who knows, third. I can't uh, can't imagine who they would have picked third. But they probably would have put Donald Trump dead last, so he would have never rolled up in the primaries even. Right, and so the reason why people would have put Trump dead last in this case is because he he was so far away from... Uh, the clump of the other guys who are a little more toward the middle. And just by date of there being more of these guys more toward the middle, that means that there are more voters voting for those people. And so Trump would have been left out and somebody like Jeb Bush or somebody who was a centrist would have been more likely to, to reach the primary. And that's the point. Because more people tend to aggregate toward the center than toward the fringes, Ranked choice voting serves the center a lot more clearly than it does the fringes, and it it drags the fringe candidates toward the center more, and 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 get it does away with the polarization that creates the fringe um, candidates in the first place. Yeah, and I guess we should point out that center center of your own party more like. I don't know, man. I think center. I, the the thing about the center of their own party is that the the difference between the two is not as pronounced, and so like there's a lot more reaching across the aisles, which I think is why a lot of people value, you know, centrist politics a lot more. Is there's a lot more compromise that comes out of it rather than gridlock. Yeah, I mean, I guess in theory, center right and center left is more toward the overall center, but uh, when I hear things like Ted Cruz is more centrist. <laughs> I mean, it depends on who you compare him to, I guess. Exactly. He's, he's a little more central t- compared to a Donald Trump, maybe, on the Republican side. But, but see, I, I don't think, think any Democrat would identify with him. Sure. Agreed. So I think you could make a case that ranked choice voting would probably keep somebody like Ted Cruz from being president one day, too, you know? 
Maybe so. Who knows? What I'm interested in is the money. Like one of the things that uh, Governor LePage or LePage, do you know which one it is? <laughs> no. no, I don't. Or however you pronounce that in Maine. Let's go with LePage. It sounds fancy. Yeah. So LePage talked about the money. And that is one of the things that critics bring up is that it will cost a lot of money. But I'd be curious just to see dollar signs on runoff elections and what they cost. Um, I saw, well, that's the other thing, too. Because this would eliminate those. It would. Right now, from what I saw, there's 12 states that have runoff rules. The The rest of the states don't. It's all winner takes all. But the only, the states that do have runoff rules, that's only in the primaries. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, in a federal election, uh, a ranked choice voting um, or a general election, it's going to cost more just because it's it's a little more expensive. But what I saw was that it cost Maine. There's a Boston Globe editorial by the editors of the Boston Globe that said, let's do this in Massachusetts. Yeah, I read they, that. They said it was just like $110,000 more for the entire state of Maine to run this um, this election over ones that didn't have ranked choice that used uh, plurality voting. Yeah, that's like fractions of a penny per mm-hmm. voter probably. Right. I, I should say also, since talking about bringing it to Massachusetts, um, I thought of doing this episode because remember our friend Dave, who used to work at Sweetwater, Dave Morrill? Oh, yeah. He is running for the, um, I think, District 5 House uh, for the New Hampshire House. District 4, New Hampshire House. He's got my vote. He, same here. Unfortunately, we can't vote for him. But um, Dave was saying one of his platform planks is bringing ranked choice voting to New Hampshire. Interesting. Yeah. And he's like, I'm, I'm happy to be your number three. <laughs> I think he wants to be your number one. <laughs> well, another criticism that this one is the one that gets me. Like, everything else sounds pretty good. But uh, a lot of these cities limit, like I said earlier at the very beginning, to the top three candidates. Mm-hmm. So there's something called ballot exhaustion. If all three of your candidates on your list are eliminated, yeah. then your ballot is basically <clears throat> just burned. In fact, I think they burn it. <laughs> they hold it up and they burn it in front of your face. Like Tony Collette and Hereditary. And then laugh at you. So uh, you would think, oh, this probably didn't happen much, though. But there was a study in electoral, uh, electoral studies in 2015 that said in four cities between 9.6 and 21.7, percent of voters were eliminated due to ballot exhaustion, which those numbers are super high. They are very high. Well, one way to get around that is to um, not just rank your top three, but to rank every single person. I wonder why they did that, though. Maybe to make it easier. I'm not sure. But the San Francisco just ranks the top three for their mayoral races, which is kind of, I don't know about that, because they frequently have like 10 people in their in the race, like you were saying. So just to rank the top three, that will lead to a lot of ballot exhaustion, which is a real problem. But again, if people just rank all the candidates, their ballot will keep getting getting counted um, round after round. Yeah. Because after your first two are eliminated and three and then four, those your vote for that rank keeps getting added depending on the round that you're on. Yeah. It's pretty pretty interesting stuff, man. I, I don't know. You think it'll catch on here? It, it has piqued my interest. Same here. I think anything that does away with um, with uh, um, polarization and does away with people who share pretty similar views, but anything that does away with that, I'm I'm in favor of trying for sure. Agreed. 
Well, if you want to know more about ranked choice voting, go uh, check out some of those videos on the web, and um, you're probably going to learn to like it. But whatever, make up your own mind. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. All right, this is a bit long, but it's a good one. Okay. Uh, This is from an actual recently retired New York City detective. Hi, guys. Love the show. I was a NYPD detective for 20 years and just retired. And I'm glad to say you guys were mostly spot on with the uh, lineups episode. Nice. And then he gives us some really interesting tidbits here. I can't wait. He says, double blind lineups are better, but they are a huge suck on resources. You have to transport a witness or witnesses who also need to be separated. Fillers, the suspect who requires two detectives to safely transport from one site to the next. And now you have to find another detective who, who knows nothing about your case. So that usually means to go to an outside detective squad who themselves have their own cases for which they may need blind administrators. So you can see how this ripples outward. Uh, photo arrays would be helpful in terms of logistics, but they are inadmissible as trial evidence in New York. They can only be used to identify a possible suspect, but in order to bring charges, you have to conduct a live lineup. Additionally, many victims feel more confident looking at real people than at photos. Uh, defense lawyers will claim they want to be present for the lineup to verify its impartiality, but do not actually want to be there, and in fact rarely are. Uh, if they're not present, they can then accuse officers of all kinds of misdeeds in an effort to have the identification suppressed at a hearing. If they are present and observe nothing untoward during the procedure, it becomes more difficult for them to later claim otherwise. <laughs> Super interesting. Lawyers. Uh, lastly, I spent the last four years of my career in a robber unit that worked with federal prosecutors. We begged squad detectives not to show photo arrays or conduct lineups as we know what Josh said many times is true witness testimony more often than not is terrible we build most of our cases using co-conspirator testimony perpetrator statements uh, DNA criminalistics so, uh, social media analysis cell phone tracking security video license plate reader data etc etc uh, witnesses really just muddy the waters uh, they're best used to say hey I got robbed and then just leave it at that Uh, It also takes the emotional burden off them at trial, should it ever come to that. Yeah. Uh, My wife and I are big fans. Kept us entertained on many road trips. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. And that is from former detective Jason Allison. That is an amazing email. Man, I'll bet social media is a huge tool. Because I'll bet there's so many goons just running around like, I totally just robbed this place. Check it out. Yeah. Here's the money I, I stole. Speaking of huge tools. Yeah. Uh, good one, Chuck. Well, if you want to get in touch with us like the former detective did, that's pretty awesome. We always want to hear from experts in the field that we talked about. Uh, you can get in touch with us via social media. Just go to our website, stuffyoushouldknow.com, and it's got all of our links up there. Um, or you can send us an email. Just send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.